Welcome to episode number 30 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, where we're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today's episode, we're talking about five open challenges in combustible dust safety. So this podcast episode will be a little bit different than the ones previously. This is our 30th episode. We're over six months in this podcast, which is a, a really big milestone for us. But furthermore, we're coming in to kind of the halfway point of 2019. I want to take a moment to reflect. So this will be a, a solo show. We'll be on some open topics and open challenges that we've seen from the podcast, and also some research work that I've been doing over the last number of months. So as I, I mentioned a couple times in the podcast previously, I'm currently working or currently have submitted a book chapter that will be published through Elsevier Publishing as part of the Methods and Chemical Process Engineering series. I believe this will be volume three on dust explosions. Oh, this is a multi-author textbook, so it has more than 10 authors. Each chapter will be written by a different author. And mine was around the, the loss history of, of dust explosions and then lessons learned in open challenges. So this episode is, is taking some of that material and, and getting it out in front of the community. Specifically, we're talking about these open challenges. So there's been a lot of technical challenges, things that come from this Chemical Safety Board report investigations, things that the guests on the podcast have been talking about for the last 29 episodes. And these are really important. These are things like housekeeping, relief venting, isolation, ignition control, management change, incident near-miss review, employee training programs. These are all really important technical aspects. And it's not really what we're going to be covering today, but I just want to highlight that these are still open challenges. Addressing and meeting these technical aspects are, are open challenges. And they didn't just come from the chemical safety report. I've, I've showed a couple reports over the last couple presentations I've done, um, one from 1922, it's called Dust Explosions, Causes, and Methods of Prevention by Price and Brown. This was published through the NFPA. And then 1980, there's a report called The Prevention of Dust Explosions in Grain Elevators, an Achievable Goal. And this was released by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And these reports highlight the same sort of technical challenges and same sort of technical lessons learned that we're talking about today. Things like housekeeping, relief venting, isolation, ignition control. So those are all really important and we'll keep talking about those through the podcast. We'll keep looking to educate and increase awareness. This episode is being kind of the, the midway of 2019. We're going to focus on five open challenges. These are a little bit higher level challenges, things that are going on around the world that we're seeing from the reporting, we're seeing from the podcast, and we're seeing from the research for dust safety science that are, that are open challenges. So we'll go through five different challenges, and the first one of those is a comprehensive general industry standard. So you probably heard a lot about this one, and I'll give you some of the history of it. The U.S. Chemical Safety Board in 2004 in their Combustible Dust Hazard Investigation Report called for OSHA to create a comprehensive general industry standard on combustible dust. They reiterated that need, that requirement on their side, or that need for the community in 2008 Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion, after the 2011 Hagnes explosion, after the 2012 U.S. Inc. explosion, and then again in the 2018 call to action that they released last year. So this has been an ongoing thing really for the last... 15 years that they've been they've been calling for this. And there has been some movement from OSHA. So in October 2017, OSHA released the National Emphasis Program on Combustible Dust. This was reissued after the Imperial Sugar Refinery with some updates. In October 2009, they released an advance notice of proposed rulemaking with regards to combustible dust. And in May 2011, they convened an expert forum to discuss the topic. So all that kind of information is available online. But the current status is that in 2018, Combustible dust has really been removed from the U.S. regulatory agenda. And it still remains on the chemical safety board's drivers of critical chemi chemical safety change within the United States. 
So I know this comprehensive general industry standard is really U.S. specific, but I think it's really important just because it shows the same struggles that we have in, in many countries around the world, where maybe the technical people involved, the experts are calling for change. Um, it's difficult to to get that across through regulation and you know through industry representatives and all that. So I want to highlight as the challenge number one because it is an ongoing challenge, it's something we've been talking about for 15 years, and really have seen some progress, but we we haven't got to. So I just want to make three notes, and we'll call them three recommendations, although recommendation may be a little bit too big of a word for, for what I'm talking about here. These are three things that we've taken from the podcast interviews that we've done, from research, from reading the reports and looking through. So one is that the industry standard, if we want to call it that, needs to be specific enough to be actionable. From the conversations I've had and the discussions, some things that, that sort of make people a little bit queasy about this is the whole general industry comprehensive standard in the first place. So this can be difficult if you're in a specific industry, which we all are. If you're in an industry, you're in one. Think about how is this going to apply to me? And then regu- you know, regulating that, how are you going to make it apply to all across all industries? Like that's a big task to, to take care of. So this whole, even the naming, comprehensive general industry standard, may be a little bit of what's, what's leading to this kind of lock hold on, on not being able to move forward on it. So that's really the first recommendation. It needs to be specific enough to be actionable. If I'm in wood handling industry or if I'm in 3D printing or if I'm in metal working, if this was done right, you should be able to look at it and go, oh, that's how I fit in. But if it is truly general and applies to everyone, then it will really actually be not actionable for anyone. So not one industry could look at it and go, oh, this is how I fit in. It may just be kind of the standalone thing. So that's the first uh, recommendation that, that's come from the podcast is that as we do move forward in this regulation, it really doesn't need to be specific enough to be actionable by specific individuals. And the whole term individual means they're specific. So they're in a specific industry. So that's the first thing. The second is that this has really worked well when it's been developed, this type of regulation, when it's been developed by three stakeholders or three groups. When the regulators are involved, obviously. When experts are involved, so this could be the Chemical Safety Board, this could be folks at NFPA, people that know you know, the lay of the land in these industries. And then the third stakeholder is industry reps. And it works really well if you can get a really big industry rep involved. So if you have these three, then you can really sit down and come up with something that's actually actionable, that's affordable, and that's going to keep people safe. Uh, A good example of this is OSHA's grain handling standard that was put in place in the 80s. And this included the U.S. Department of Agriculture, National Grain and Feed Association, working kind of hand in hand with OSHA and experts to get that put in place. And that's just a, an example, I guess. The, the second recommendation is that this type of industry standard really needs to have three stakeholders included, or at least these three stakeholders, regulators, experts, and industry representatives. And it's going to be really hard to get it moving forward if we are missing one of those. If we don't have the experts, maybe we'll come out wrong or pieces won't be included. If we don't have the regulators, we're obviously not going to get through. And if we don't have the industry reps, then you're also going to have a really big struggle to get people to actually do it at the end of the day. But if you can get all three of these to sit down at the same time and have the same discussion and get it through that way, it might be a powerful way to move forward. And the third recommendation is that this industry standard within the United States should really work towards a global harmonized solution instead of away from it. So we had this conversation a couple times on the podcast with different guests, where as countries come up with their new standards, they're taking a bit from different pieces, a bit from ATEX, a bit from the UK, a bit from... VDI, a bit from NFPA, and kind of stitching them together, coming up with net new solutions. 
And that's really fragmenting even further. It's working away from a global harmonized solution. So that'd just be a third recommendation is that as we, we think about this in the United States, we should really be working towards coming up with a, a global solution, how we keep industry safe from combustible dust. So that's challenge number one, development of a comprehensive general industry standard. Challenge number two is response to dust fires. So a really common injury scenario that I've seen over and over again now in the incident database, in a reporting, is that you have a fire in a piece of equipment. People respond, so they, they want to observe the fire, they want to stop from spreading, or they act to put out the fire, and an explosion occurs. So there you have the people right around the equipment when the explosion occurs and they're injured. So this could be a person going to open a dust collector that's smoking, having a backdraft explosion occur. This could be someone going to look at a piece of equipment and an elbow explosion happening, an elbow blowing off and, and injuring them. Could be people spraying fire extinguishers onto burning dust piles and have that flare up. These are all cases of response to dust fires. And this really does have a large impact. There are cases where an explosion happens in isolation from a person being involved, but a lot of times a person is actually involved in disturbing the dust. Um, so some examples of this are 2017 Didion milling explosion in Cambria, Wisconsin. There was a fire in the gap mill. Workers collected around, tried to figure out what to do. It sounds like from the U.S. Chemical Safety Board reporting that an explosion may have happened in the gap mill and blew off an elbow, and then that caused those people to be injured. And then later, there were secondary effects with fugitive dust that caused the catastrophic explosions in that. But the, the first injuries happened from people gathering around a dust fire. U.S. Inc. explosion in East Rutherford, New Jersey in 2012, same sort of thing. They had an initial explosion. People gathered around to put out the fire with extinguishers, had another explosion, and that's what injured the workers. 2019, just in January this year, there was one worker killed and three injured in Belgium when they opened a silo hatch in response to a wood shavings fire. So this continuously happens. And the question is, if someone were to ask me today, what do I do if my gap mill has a fire, if it's smoking, if my dust collector's smoking? And honestly, I don't know the answer. One thing is do not disturb the dust. And you'll hear this in the next podcast episode, actually, with, with Dr. Chris Bloor, who, who mentions that. But then, you know, taking your time, going slow are all important things. But what are the specific actionable steps? I'm not sure we've identified those. The biggest group that is really involved in this in the sense of, of suffers loss from it are actually firefighters and first responders. 2018, six of the 38 injuries from combustible dust explosions were to firefighters. And if you look at the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, if you look at their database for firefighter fatalities, you find uh, several of them throughout the, throughout the years. 2019, one firefighter was killed and one injured when fighting a grain storage bin fire. 2011, two firefighters were killed and one injured when spraying water into a coal storage silo, which triggered an explosion. 2009, firefighter died, eight were injured when spraying water in a foam solution in a dumpster containing aluminum shavings and dust. 2003, two volunteer firefighters were injured, were killed and eight injured in a lumber silo explosion when they were directing water through a covered hatch. So again, response to dust fires is a big challenge, both by the workers and first responders. Education's needed. And in a lot of cases, the people that are, that are going to fight these fires or the people that are going to, to do whatever they're doing to go around it, are doing it because they think it's what's right and what's going to cause people safe. If they knew an explosion was going to happen, they wouldn't do it. So that's a really good you know, point to emphasize. So that's part of education and, and coming up with how should we tackle these things moving forward. I mentioned this reference before by Henry Pearson, Henry Person rather, from the Technical Research Institute of Sweden. 
He has a, a really great report on how to fight silo fires, um, but it's not enough. We need to figure out how to do that in dust collectors. We need to figure out how to do gap mills, different pieces of equipment, and what are we telling? So we've done a lot on prevention and protection from fires and explosions, but I haven't seen a lot of education put out there and a lot of step-by-step process. This is what you do, what you should do when you have a fire to avoid having it escalating. Challenge number three that we've seen through a lot of our work is difficulties with small operations. So according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, there are 3 million farms in the United States alone. Many of these would have processing equipment for grain, storage silos, and, and the like. There's an uncountable number of small wood shops with sawdust collection equipment. There is at least 24,000 public secondary schools, again, that would have lots of wood shops, woodworking facilities. And these small operations pose a lot of challenges for the combustible dust community. A lot of the time, the worst explosions that happen are in small communities, might be small facilities in these communities where people are being injured and, and unfortunately, fatally injured. There's three big difficulties with small operations, what I'm calling them right now, or at least three. One is that the, the operator may not fall under OSHA's jurisdiction. We saw this with the South Sioux City grain elevator explosion in 2018. OSHA showed up the next day to investigate and then determined that the operation didn't have enough employees to fall under its jurisdiction. The second challenge is just getting awareness and understanding to those who need it is, is immensely challenging. We talked about this in episode four of the podcast with Jeremy Slonwhite about the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Program, how the province of Nova Scotia did an audit of all the high schools and found that many of the, actually almost all of the 150 locations that had a dust, explo- a dust collector were not properly protected against dust explosions. And then I've heard another difficulty brought up quite a bit, which is cost of implementation. So the jury's still out on this one, but it's often cited as an issue. Can these opera- these small operations afford to have safe equipment in terms of combustible dust? And we've heard this mentioned by Nicholas Kitzhofer in episode 22 in the woodworking industry in China. And I actually hear it quite frequently. And we're trying to figure out, is that actually true? And are there ways to make it safe? But it's often brought up as a, as a difficulty. So three big difficulties, small operations. They may not fall under OSHA's jurisdiction. Getting awareness and understanding to those who need it is very hard because of the sheer numbers. Again, 3 million farms in the United States, 25,000 public secondary schools. Um, and then cost of implementation would be quite hard as well. And the high school woodshop one concerns me. From episode four of the podcast with the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Program, a lot of those schools had you know, pretty dangerous conditions where venting may be pointed in the wrong direction. Dust collector may not be located in a, in a safe place. Some of them had issues with the return air ducting and ended up putting dust in the false ceilings above the the uh, wood shop. These are pretty dangerous conditions. And we do see five, six, seven fires a year at high schools. And you can say that, yes, the, the piece of equipment are not in operation very often. There's not a lot of dust flow going through. But with 25,000 facilities, and we're seeing fires, we're seeing incidents, we're seeing near misses, and possibility for having dust accumulation above the ceiling where people don't see it. And then the difficulties that we already know with just responding to dust fires, which was challenge number two, I can't think it's not a matter of if something bad is going to happen, but but when is something bad going to happen in these type of facilities. So I just want to highlight that as challenge number three, difficulties with small operations, including woodworking, including you know farming operations, but there's probably others that we can think of as well. So with that, we've mentioned now the, the first three challenges, development of a, a comprehensive industry standard, and even terminology there is a little bit difficult. Challenge number two, response to dust fires. Challenge number three, difficulties of small operations. 
I want to move into the last two challenges before closing out this episode. Challenge number four is hazards to the public. So there are many cases reported of, of dust explosions causing very large loss to, to public, to people in the public. So this can be relatively isolated, you know, in the sense that it only affects one or two individuals. 2017 local news reported a dust explosion on the music video set of the seven-member Korean group Oh My Girl. So they had a they were using you know cornstarch, colored cornstarch. It settled out on the the heating elements of the lights and caused an explosion when they turned on the light at their their music set. In 2017, a Danish man was suffered burns from a cinnamon dust flash fire. In this case, this is actually a Danish tradition that when you turn a certain age and if you're not married, they cover you in spices. I think it dates back to to some time a long time ago where then your only hope in life was to become a spice salesman or something like that. So his his friends were actually dumping sacks of cinnamon over his over his body, um, and it caught fire and and had a flash fire. Luckily, they had kind of sprayed him with water beforehand so that the cinnamon stuck, which is probably what stopped him from you know suffering even worse uh, burns than he did. And he did have a mask on, which is good as well. Uh, so those are some just some examples of you know the many relatively isolated incidents. I've heard things about you know sanders exploding and certainly vacuums that are inappropriately used to pick up uh, sawdust exploding and things like that. Well, this can also be large and, and massive in scale as well. In 2015, at the Festival of Colors in a water park in Bali, New Taipei, Taiwan, there was a thousand people that were involved in, a, in one of the largest flash fires I've, I've ever seen. There's actually a video of this. It's um, not really for the faint of heart, but what happened was they were, again, colored cornstarch, they were spraying it over the crowd it was settling out on the ground quite uh, deep layers and everybody's you know listening to music and partying there was a, a pool nearby where they had blowers that were recirculating the air and this was blowing the cornstarch back up and then settle back out and blow it back up creating a continuous dust cloud eventually one of the heating lights or it's believed that one of the heating lights ignited that dust cloud and then caused a, a very large flash fire and over 500 of the people involved or 500 of the thousand people that were at the concert suffered very severe burns and unfortunately, you know, the potential for this type of mass casualty or mass injury incident is present whenever large quantities of combustible dust are inappropriately collected, handled, or dispersed. And especially those that are doing the, the collecting, the handling, or the dispersing don't know or understand the potential danger. And I showed a video in a recent presentation I gave with Powder and Bulk Solids, a webinar that I did with them, of a milk powder protest in Brussels in January 2017. Uh, the farmers were were protesting a you know increased taxes on milk powder and in the protest they actually had farm equipment and they were spraying very very large clouds of, of milk powder on the building um, they're going around leaf blowers and blowing it up they had lit road flares and there were probably 30 40 50 people standing in the crowd basically in this this very thick cloud of dust that went on for a very long time you know extended period like an hour nothing ever happened and nobody that I've seen has mentioned anything about combustible dust and related to that, in relation to that video or that protest. But it has a chance to be a very, very large scale injury or, or casualty event. So that's, that's a fourth challenge, hazards to the public, where you're collecting or dispersing or handling dust. Those involved don't know the potential danger. Same as in industry, you can have a big issue, but you can have this issue a lot in the, the public sphere as well. And we've seen some of the largest and most deadly explosions actually be to the public. So this brings us all the way to challenge number five. And I've had talked about a lot of, you know, negative stories here. And 
I want to turn that around a bit. So challenge number five is absence of success stories to drive us forward. So a lot of what we hear, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, even this podcast, is, is something along the lines of, you know, if you don't want the carrot, then you'll you'll get the stick. So this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. And it's improvements through human psychology. That's not really a successful way to spur change and, and action change. Tim Hennix mentioned this on episode 28 of the podcast, that so we need to share more success stories, more quote unquote, good news stories, or I did this, I implemented this process, a deflagration happened, it was safely protected against, or we, we were able to prevent fires that typically happen, um, just to get information on what's working. What we're doing today is really trying to pull industries into compliance a lot of the time. And again, I'm guilty of that with this, this show. We, we talk about a lot of bad stuff. After I wrote these, this book chapter, 30 pages, spent you know two months working on it and covered lots of, lots of bad incidents, I was pretty, pretty zapped by the end of it. It's like, I need to hear something good that's going on. So we're trying to pull industries into compliance when really what we need to be doing is give them the tools, the knowledge, and the stories to push themselves into safety. I hope to be able to do that with the podcast moving forward a bit more. As I've mentioned in the last couple of episodes, if you have success stories, if you're doing something in your facility that's working, that's decreasing the incident rate or even decreasing it, turning a, something that could have been bad into a near miss, or you're having an explosion in a piece of equipment that's protected correctly and safely, we, we need to hear more of those stories moving forward. So I would I'd recommend reaching out and, and it would be really great to get that story, to share it in whichever way we can. Obviously, just having you talk about it would be uh, really good for the community, uh, but we can also you know do it where it's we take some of the details and, and make them general so it's not specific to your industry or whichever way it works. So that's challenge number five, absence of success stories to drive us forward. And that's really a, a key area that I think we'll need to focus on to get progress in this, this area. So that's it for this episode. In summary, we talked about five challenges, open challenges for the combustible dust safety community. Challenge number one was development of a comprehensive standard. Challenge number two was response to dust fires. Challenge number three was difficulties with small operations. Challenge number four was hazards to the public. And challenge number five was absence of success stories to drive us forward. If you have any feedback for this episode of the podcast, you can put that in the show notes or go to the comments section of the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 30. I'm going to try to round up all the references that I mentioned in this episode and put that in the show notes as well. If we're missing something, let me know and we'll, we'll get it put in. And let me know your thoughts. If you want to send an email to chris at dustsafetyscience.com, let me know what you think the open challenges are. If you want to post something on social media, on LinkedIn, you can tag me there with your thoughts. We'll have a conversation about it. What can we do to improve combustible dust safety? How can we address some of these open challenges? What are the open challenges that I'm missing? So that's it for this episode number 30 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. As always, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I really appreciate the work you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world every day to make them safer. Mm-hmm.